0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 289. It's titled Market Timing. Versus time in the market. Yesterday, I reduced the stock allocation in the Money for the Rest of Us Plus model portfolios by 10 percentage points, at least for the most aggressive models. Shortly after setting out that notice, I received an email from a member who wrote, Aside from all the craziness in the world right now, I stumbled upon an article that really shocked me. Turns out it is just one of many similar articles basically stating the same thing. The article was titled, What Happens When You Miss the Best Days in the Stock Market? The member continued, Basically, I'm asking if you think it's true and that the math checks out, or is there some kind of catch where it's not showing all the pieces of the puzzle? This article was written by Michael Alloy. It was published on the Motley Fool website, and he referenced a study by J.P. Morgan Asset Management that is included in the very well-done J.P. Morgan Guide to Retirement, their 2020 edition. On page 43 of the guide, it shows the impact of being out-of-the-market For the best 10 days, 20 days, 30, 40, 50, 60 days, and so on. This is for the S&P 500, the time frame, January 3rd, 2000, through December 31st, 2019. So a 20-year time frame. Over that period, if you were fully invested, your return would have been 6.06% annualized. But had you missed the best 10 days, your returns would have fallen to 2.4%. Annualized. And the amount of money you would have made investing $10,000 at the beginning of that period would have been cut in half. Had you missed the best 60 days, your return would have been 7% negative annualized. Would have lost money having missed those best 60 days. Now, this is a very commonly quoted study to say market timing you shouldn't do at all. But, is it really that simple? That's what we're going to consider in this episode. Now, studies like these show, well, you shouldn't market time. It's time in the market that makes a difference. But let's consider this study. How difficult would it be to be out of the market on the best 10 to 60 days, but in the rest of the time. Your timing would have to be impeccably bad, but the odds of that are infinitesimally small. Over a 20-year period, there's 5,000 market days. One day is only 0.02% of the entire time frame. And so if you could actually pick 10 days, where the odds of getting it right at being the worst day, or the best day for that matter, is 0.02%, the odds of picking the 10 best or the 10 worst would be infinitesimally small. Here's a thought. What would your return have been had you missed out on all of the days, including the best and the worst days? you would have returned 5% annualized had you invested in the U.S. Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index or 1.3% annualized had you invested in three-month treasury bills. I don't like studies like this because it's a false argument. Nobody is out of the market on the best days or the worst days and can pick that accurately. So to say, well, if you missed... The best 60 days, you would have had a negative return. So you should never make an asset allocation adjustment. That's just plain wrong. Another study by Mark Holbert looked at the period from 1928 through 2019. Longer period, buy and hold return price only for the S P 500 was 5.83% annualized. If you were out of the market the best 50 days, the return would have been under 2%. If you were out of the market on the 50 worst days, your return would have been over 10%. And if you were out of the market on both the 50 best and 50 worst days, your return would have been better than buy and hold, a 5.99% return, not by much. But again, trying to be completely out or in the market To time it like that cannot be done. But that's not how people invest. We have to make asset allocation decisions, make choices among all the opportunities. What is market timing? Investopedia says it is the act of moving in and out of a financial market or switching between asset classes based on predictive methods. These predictive tools include following technical indicators or economic data to gauge how the market is going to move. Market timing is the opposite of a buy-and-hold investment strategy. Wikipedia says market timing is the strategy of making buying or selling decisions of financial assets, often stocks, by attempting to predict the future market price movements. The prediction may be based on an outlook of market or economic conditions resulting from technical or fundamental analysis. Market timing is making adjustments to your portfolio. Now, it may be to move completely out of the market, which is unwise, but it also involves deciding where to invest and perhaps making adjustments. Think about all the questions as a buy-and-hold investor you have to answer. Where should you invest? Should you put all in stocks? All in bonds? What kind of stocks? Should it be U.S. stocks? What about non-U.S. stocks, small company stocks, emerging market stocks, perhaps big cap technology stocks? If you invest in bonds, what kind of bonds? Should it be U.S. Treasury bonds, non-investment grade bonds, short-term, long-term? What about real estate? Should you invest in publicly traded real estate through REITs? What about gold, commodity futures, crowdfunded real estate, cryptocurrencies, startup companies? As a buy and hold investor, how do you decide what the target should be? Do you just base it on historical returns? Because if you consider current yields on bonds or stocks, assuming that that would be making a prediction and thus would be market timing and bad. And after you've built out a portfolio, how frequently do you rebalance? Do you rebalance at all? And if you're rebalanced, how do you decide what to sell Or not to sell. Isn't there some forward-looking analysis in making that decision? A little more complex than you're either buy and hold or you're an in-and-out completely market timer. Most of us are neither. And there's reasons, there are valid reasons to make portfolio adjustments particularly if you have a lot of money. If you're nearing retirement or if you're in retirement, your returns can have a huge impact on your retirement outcome. It's called sequence of return risk. In that same J.P. Morgan Asset Management Retirement Guide, a few pages before the impact of the time out of the market slide, there were a couple others One on sequence of return risk, one on investing a lump sum. First, investing a lump sum. They assumed a 5% annualized return. And then if you invested $300,000, it would grow to $1.3 million, irrespective of the return pattern, whether it started off bad and then got better, or if it started off really good and then got bad, it was lumpy doesn't matter what the return pattern is, the sequence of return, if it was a 5% annualized return, the amount of money you would have would be the same. Now, that's also somewhat unrealistic. Now, this was over a 30-year period. And if you invest a lump sum and choose when to invest over 30 years, the return can differ. Ben Carlson on his blog, had a study that showed 30-year returns for the S&P 500 on a rolling basis. And the good news is the worst 30-year period was if you had invested around 1930. Your return would have been 8%. The best time to invest was close to 1970, and the 30-year annualized return was 15% but it would differ depending on when you put the money in. Now, we can be highly confident that over a 30-year period that stocks will outperform bonds. We can't be absolutely certain. Edward Macquarie, in a piece titled Stock Market Charts You Never Saw, found that bonds outperform stocks from 1865 to 1901. That's a 36-year period. Bonds outperformed stocks again from 1929 to 1951, that's a 22-year period. Stocks and bonds were about the same from 1980 to 2009, a 29-year period. Stocks trailed bonds from 1830 to 1861, 31-year period, and again from 1906 to 1949. Now, we know, because we've talked about it a lot on this podcast and on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, that the starting yield makes a big difference. With the 10-year treasury bond yielding about 1% right now, much lower than the dividend yield on stocks of 2 to 2.5%, and the fact that those stocks' dividends will grow as earnings grow over time, feel pretty confident that stocks will outperform bonds over the next 30 years. But what if you don't have 30 years? They give the example, JP Morgan, a million dollar portfolio. Again, it earns 5% annualized and you withdraw 4% in your first year of retirement and then increase it by the rate of inflation. The return pattern makes a difference. If Returns start off great and have a bad ending 30 years later, you don't run out of money. Or if they're just steady 5% return, you don't run out of money. But if they start off bad and you lose money in the first few years of retirement, then the portfolio doesn't last 30 years. Only last about 25 years. That's one reason, as we talked a few episodes ago on annuities, that annuities eliminate the risk of running out of money because you get paid the rest of your life. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com. david What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H dot slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. How then do we balance market timing and time in the market? First, rarely do we ever completely exit the stock market and try to move out and move back in. Even if you're correct 60% of the time with each of those decisions independently, together you will be right less than half the time. We're never that confident about what potentially may happen to move completely out. Second, we don't make market timing decisions based on feelings, gut feelings, that we feel that the market is due for correction. That allows emotions to drive our investment decisions. It just leads to poor decisions. Instead, we should have consistent criteria for making asset allocation decisions. That includes understanding current conditions, having reasonable return assumptions based on the cash flow, the dividend yields, the interest, the cash flow growth, and how investors are valuing those cash flows. That is what it means to estimate the upside of an investment. That's one of the questions that I discuss in depth in my book, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, and show how we can use those three return drivers of cash flow, cash flow growth, and valuation to estimate returns. Over the past year, the global stock market has gained 7%. The U.S. stock market is up 12%. Those are solid gains, even after the big loss in stocks over the past week. This is through yesterday, March 2nd. Now, over that same period, global earnings have fallen. There has not been an increase in the cash flow. U.S. stocks' earnings have increased 0.5%. That means the vast majority of the returns in the past year were driven by by stocks getting more expensive. The dividend yield made up part of it, the 2% in the U.S., 2.5% globally, but the rest was stocks getting more expensive. U.S. stocks, cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio, sometimes called the Schiller P.E. This is the price divided by the average earnings over the past 10 years. At the beginning of February, it was 30.1. Its average is 20.4. Now it's 27.5. The average real price return for U.S. stocks, when they have been this expensive, so this is real, so after adjusting for inflation, just the price appreciation, negative 1.5%. That's the average when they've been this expensive. If we assume a 2% dividend yield and inflation of 2.5%, that's 4.5%, then a 1.5% price appreciation, that's an expected return over the next decade of 3%. What do we do with that number? Do we make any adjustments to our allocation, perhaps put more in non-US stocks that have higher dividend yields, lower valuations? Is that market timing? It's looking at current conditions and assuming that based on history, this may happen. Yeah, that's a form of market timing. And it's okay to do that. That's what investing is. Coming up with reasonable assumptions and allocating our assets accordingly. It's okay to do that. That's investing. Investing is also considering the downside where stocks can fall. 60 percent. If stocks fell 60 percent as part of this coronavirus pandemic, how would that impact your portfolio? If you have a 30-year time horizon and you're just saving, you're young, you're 20s, 30s, you have many years to retirement, it's not going to impact you. You have more in stocks. But if you're nearing retirement and you're mostly in stocks right now, it can have an impact. So maybe you make an adjustment down a little bit as conditions have deteriorated. I'm reducing risk in the models, portfolios, and in my portfolio. I haven't sold anything yet because I like to give members a few days to make any adjustments that they want. I think that's only fair. But one reason I'm doing it is I look at what's going on right now. Yesterday. Market, M-A-R-K-I-T, released the J.P. Morgan Manufacturing PMI. This is an aggregate of the business surveys done around the world by country asking businesses how business is. What are your hiring plans? What are your, what's your output? Your sales? What do you believe your new orders will be? That measure dropped to 47.2. It was over 50. Typically, over 50 is expansion territory. Below 50 indicates an economy that's contracting. 47.2, it was the steepest contraction since 2009. And it was led by China, whose manufacturing PMI plummeted from 51.1 down to 40.3, the lowest PMI rating in China since the survey began in 2004. So we have some PMI data. What about market data? This is from Ned Davis Research. When the global PMI has been below 48.2, the average gain in the stock market, the MSCI World Index, so developed markets internationally, has been negative 7.6%. So the market has fallen when the PMI has been below 48.2. When it's been between 48.2 and 54.1, the market has gained on average 3.8% the next year. And when it's above 54.1, the market has returned 10.2% on average over the next year. What do we do with that data? Now that we see the PMI below that 48.2, that's an objective criteria. That's not feelings. That's just, this is what the data is. We can also see that in China, passenger traffic is down 70% from last year. Vehicle traffic. Coal consumption, down 55%. Property sales, down 50%. Movie ticket sales, down 100%. This is a country in lockdown because of the pandemic. The pandemic that is spreading around the world. How will governments, businesses, and consumers react as the coronavirus continues to spread, as we try to stop, it's spreading as quickly. So we encourage more separation. Companies in the Bay Area are telling their employees, don't come to the office, work from home indefinitely, no travel. That's spreading. Conferences are being canceled. People are changing their behavior. What pro was at Costco yesterday? Kind of a madhouse as people are stocking up preparing. Will these decisions have an impact on earnings growth? If earnings growth falls significantly, stock markets tend to fall or they potentially get more expensive if they don't fall, which means future returns will be lower. On the earnings front, earnings are down over the past year, globally. Only 45% of global companies have seen their earnings estimates increased by analysts as they look out the next year. That's down from 65%. So a month ago, 65% of companies, their earnings were being revised upwards by analysts. Now only less than half are revising their earnings upwards. It's a change. We're seeing the amount of compensation that, Bond investors want to invest in non investment grade high yield bonds is increasing. The spread or the incremental yield between 10 year Treasury bonds and high yield bonds has gone from 3.3% to 4.7%. Pricing in more risk. Conditions are changing. Now, do we know what's actually going to happen? No. We do know that this morning the Federal Reserve cut. Its policy rate by a half a percent, an emergency cut even before their next policy committee meeting. Potentially, we'll cut it again at the meeting. Now, interest rates cuts makes it cheaper to borrow, it means we're not going to get the yields we were getting on money market accounts. Our returns are going to go down, but central banks are acting as as if something big is happening. In that environment. When risks are increasing, when a pandemic is spreading, should you do anything? Maybe, maybe not. Is it an evil act to reduce your stock exposure by 10 to 20% in that environment? If it helps you not to panic and capture some profits and see what happens, Because the data has deteriorated and there are so many unknowns. It's okay to do that. That is market timing. But that's not being completely out of the market. You still have time in the market. You're making adjustments to help keep your overall portfolio on track. And if you do it not because you're listening to all the noise, but you have some objective criteria like PMI data, earnings growth, cash flow, valuations, those aren't feelings. That's just making some risk assessments and adjusting accordingly. And it's okay to do that. We can market time and benefit from compounding by having time in the market over many years. We can do both because investing is doing both. Nobody is completely buy and hold. Everyone has to make a decision at some point, where to invest, how to rebalance, if you need cash, where to take it out of. Those are active decisions. Those are market timing decisions. And it's okay. We can do that. That's episode 289. You can get show notes at com. Why are there? please sign up for my free insider's guide. It's a weekly email. Just goes to that list where I share an essay on money, investing, and the economy, as well as the links to that particular week's episode. That's some of the best writing I do. Just goes to that email list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.